What is up team? Welcome back to the show. So today I am sharing a module I recorded for the coaches mentorship that coach Andrea and myself are running for a group of coaches all around troubleshooting stalled fat loss. So you have given your client their nutrition protocols, their training protocols. Um, things started off going well and all of a sudden things come to a creeping halt or maybe things were never progressing to begin with. Again, this is kind of the decision-making tree that we use when we are helping a client troubleshoot solve fat loss and again, get them back on the path to achieving the physique that they want. Now, understand that within this, there will be a few times where I'll reference future modules. Of course, again, that is because I'm pulling this recording directly from what we did within the mentorship. Now, Andrea and I are also looking to add two more coaches to the mentorship. So if you are a coach that is in with, within your first one to two years of coaching, you want to level up your knowledge. You want to understand how to truly help your clients achieve the best results. You're sick of feeling like you're just throwing things at the wall when it comes to your training protocols, your nutrition protocols with your clients, kind of just hoping something sticks based on what has worked for you. Again, if you feel like you're not confident that you can help any client that comes your way, but rather, again, it's kind of just guessing and hoping that maybe 25 to 40 to 50% of people get results. If you're sick of feeling like that, if you have clients that keep you up at night because you're not sure how to help, you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of, to give you constructive feedback, to help pick apart your nutrition protocols, your training protocols that you're creating for clients. If you're ready to level up the way you coach and get your clients better results and learn from our team with between Andrea and myself, we have over 20 years of combined coaching experience working with hundreds and hundreds of clients by this point. So if that is something, the mentorship is something that you're interested in. Again, Andrea and I are looking to bring on two more coaches to fill two spots here. So if that's something you're interested in, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Jeremiah Bear with the phrase mentorship and we'll chat about that. And without any further ado, let's, let's get into the installed fat loss. So it's well known that to lose fat, calories in must be less than calories out as you already well understand. Now, oftentimes things will look good on paper, like your client should be in a calorie deficit, but they're still not losing, which begs the question, why does fat loss stall on a diet? Now, to frame this conversation, we first need to revisit the fundamentals of metabolism. So basically, again, your metabolism has four pieces. First, we have the basal metabolic rate, or BMR, and these are the calories your body burns just to stay alive. So even if you laid in bed all day, your BMR wouldn't change. This calories burn through things like breathing, your heart pumping, etc. And generally, the heavier you are, the higher your BMR is. We have the thermic effect of food, or TEF. As you understand, your body actually burns calories digesting the food you eat. Protein, burning about 20 to 30% of the calories consumed um, through the thermic effect of food. Carbs, about 5 to 15%. Fat, about 0 to 5%. We have non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT, which is all the calories you burn in your everyday movement outside of the gym. NEAT is really the most controllable variable of your metabolism and seems to be the biggest difference making in the metabolisms of lean individuals versus obese individuals. And we have the thermic effect of exercise. So basically lifting weights, cardio, etc. Now this is the smallest portion of your metabolism. Exercise doesn't burn that many calories. Really, we could burn 500 calories with an hour on the stair mill and then drink a 500 calorie margarita in five minutes. So these four pieces of your metabolism account for all the calories that you burn in a day. So if your client's food intake has stayed exactly the same, but they're not losing anymore, we know that calories burned must have decreased or as you probably heard it put, their metabolism has slowed. But really, we don't need to worry here. 
As scary as it sounds, a slower metabolism is a very normal part of weight loss due to something called metabolic adaptation. You didn't break anything, nor is your client doomed to a life of undereating. So as the four pieces of your metabolism adapt to weight loss and less food, aka metabolic adaptation, some changes occur. So first, your basal metabolic rate drops as you lose weight. So understand that a smaller body burns fewer calories. This also applies to the thermic effect of exercise as a smaller person will burn fewer calories during exercise. The thermic effect of food drops since your client is eating less food. So some of this can be offset by increasing protein intake, but a decrease in calories still generally creates a drop in TEF, again, unless we're dramatically increasing protein as we are decreasing the total calories we're taking in, and calories burned via need drop. So when dieting, you're depriving your body of energy, aka calories. So you're more lethargic, resulting in less daily movement. Step goals and increasing exercise help, but a decrease in calories burned here is inevitable. Now, so really the thing to understand here is again, your metabolism is something that is very much in flux, right? So when you eat more, it has the opposite effect on your metabolism. You have more energy, you're eating more food and have potentially a larger body. So you start to burn more calories and we'll discuss this more in the reverse diet module as well. Um, but in the case of a deficit, your body is getting smaller as a result of the diet and burns fewer calories as it shrinks. So again here, um, we see if we if you check out this graphic, you can really see this full breakdown of how all these different components impact the calories that we burn in the day, right? When we're gaining weight, that increases BMR, that increases non-exercise activity thermogenesis typically, um, um, that increases calories burned through exercise. Very similarly, when we're eating more, we're probably going to have more energy and be able to burn more calories through exercise. We're going to be burning more calories through the thermic effect of food. We're going to be burning more calories through NEAT because we have more energy. And again, the opposite happens when we're dieting. So again, your metabolism is something that is always very much in flux. So the thing to understand here is we can't really break it. Um, again, this is just like metabolism slowing is just an inevitable part of fat loss and actually means you're achieving the goal of the diet, which is a smaller body. So all that said, anecdotally, metabolic adaptation is rarely the reason fat loss actually stalls. I'd say approximately five to 10% of the time. So really upon determining an intake that a client has successfully been losing at, or that has a client successfully losing at the desired rate. So again, typically 0.5 to 1% of their body weight per week. Most clients should be able to lose about point or 2.5 to 5% of their body weight on said calorie intake before needing an adjustment. So typically a client losing approximately 10% of their body weight shouldn't need more than two to three macro adjustments due to metabolic adaptation across the course of the fat loss phase. So again, the thing to understand is with most clients we work with, you will see many, many times where fat loss stalls. But again, we don't need to just jump. Like the whole point of this module is we shouldn't just jump right away to, okay, metabolism must have adapted. We need to take calories lower. We need to take calories lower. That can be a very slippery slope. And most of the time, an actual calorie adjustment or decrease isn't needed. So to get into why fat loss actually stalls most of the time. So really as cool as all this metabolic adaptation stuff sounds, most of the time your fat loss actually stalls due to an error in measuring calorie intake or calorie output. Again, coaches are too quick to cut calories when the problem isn't actually metabolic adaptation, but mismanaging calories in and calories out. So really here, when we look at like the most common reasons why macros stop working, why a client stops losing, again, it's much more often that they're estimating portions instead of measuring. 
they're working in too many flexible foods, they're not tracking entire meals or days, they're not tracking nibbles, cooking oils, condiments, and alcohol, or not tracking or hitting daily movement goals rather than they actually need to decrease calories. So one of the most beneficial things to helping our clients achieve amazing results has been establishing our eight-step system for troubleshooting solve fat loss, which we are going to dig into right now. Now, this is typically the order of operations. When a client's progress has stalled that we are working through before making a calorie adjustment. So really this allows us to pinpoint exactly what factor has stalled the client's fat loss and adjust their nutrition and potentially training strategy accordingly. All right, so the first thing that we're looking to have measurements decreased. So our fat loss focused clients, as you understand, take body measurements weekly and drop them into the metric tracker. Now, how your measurements are changing is one of the single biggest factors we adjust nutrition around in a fat loss setting. Because really, weight loss can stall or even increase due to factors like building lean muscle, stress, digestion, sleep, and hormones, just to name a few. Now, measurements typically give us a much more consistent picture. Um, for an individual who, so the thing to understand is like there are scenarios where, so for example, for a very, very lean individual, like an individual three to four weeks out from a photo shoot who is just shredded, a lot of times we won't see large shifts in measurements, we won't see large shifts in weight, and we're mostly adjusting off of progress pictures in that situation. Um, for an individual who has a very large amount to lose, so let's say an individual that's trying to lose 100 pounds to get back to a healthy place. In that case, a lot of times measurements, there will just be so much fluctuation that they're not accurate. So there we're looking mostly at weight trends. But for most of your clients who, hey, maybe I want to lose somewhere between 15 and 30 pounds, typically measurements are going to be the most consistent, um, the most consistent measure of progress that isn't going to be prone as many to as many fluctuations and really is typically going to give us the best eye for how the client's physique is changing. So a solid decision-making key here is, has the client lost an inch or more from combined measurement sites? If so, it's safe to say that they're losing fat and probably don't need to make any nutrition adjustments. So again, understand this doesn't have to be just from one site. Um, this could be from like, hey, we lost a half inch from two inches above the navel and we lost a half inch from the hips. Typically, I would correlate about an inch loss from measurements to losing about 0.5% of body weight per week in body fat and an inch and a half to two inches to losing about the closer to that 1% of body weight per week mark. So if your client has, again, lost more than an inch from combined measurement sites, you probably don't need to make adjustments. That said, if you're aiming for that little bit quicker rate of loss, about that 1% um, of body weight per week, we might want to get just slightly more aggressive here. Um, but again, we want to work through these other factors first. Now, some important notes here. If your client is starting a new training stimulus, aka a new style of training, they'll typically be more sore and inflamed for the novelty of the stimulus. So ask if they've been extremely sore and explain that inflammation from new training is likely going to cause some water retention in the scale plateau, but we can still, we should still be able to see shifts at measurement sites. Now, for clients who have 20 plus pounds to lose, we should almost always see a sizable weight shift, typically again at least one to two pounds lost in the first week. Um, these clients are also more prone to measurement error than leaner clients. So in this case, not seeing weight drop is a good sign you might need to get more aggressive. But really again, like this is where there are gonna be some nuances. So again, the thing to understand is if the client has a decent amount of body fat to lose, we should almost always see some glycogen. Like if the client hasn't been in a deficit previously, 
We should almost always see some muscle glycogen depletion and some water, um, some water depletion in that first week, right? That's typically a good sign that we're in deficit if we're coming out of maintenance or a surplus. But within that, um, also understand again when we're looking at the training stimulus, within that, we'll sh- we, sh- we can often see like, hey, if this client hasn't been in hypertrophy and suddenly they're in hypertrophy, or this client was like coming from orange sheer to hypertrophy, if this client has been super sore, they're inflamed, then a lot of times like that can somewhat mask this drop. So again, like I don't want this to be a blanket statement because it could really go either way here. So again, we need to consider like how sore is the client, how inflamed is the client. Um, if we are seeing considerable changes in measurements and you're fairly confident that those are accurate, they don't seem necessarily like too good to be true, then okay, cool. Let's potentially take this as fat loss. And again, in week two, we should start to see that weight drop a little bit more as the repeated bout of fat kicks in the client isn't going to be as sore going forward. So now if from here, if the client hasn't seen the measurement shifts to be expected, then we move on to number two, which is has scale weight decreased. Now, again, as discussed, the ideal speed of weight loss for most of your clients will be about 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week. But like mentioned, scale weight can fluctuate pretty wildly due to things like water retention from higher sodium intake, stress, and digestive issues. So most should see a monthly trend of 2 to 4% of total body weight lost. But this rarely plays out as exactly losing 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week, which again, this is why taking body measurements is so important. Clients will often see weight loss stall, but a big decrease in measurements, and this will be followed by a large weight drop a week or two further down the road. So don't get caught, too caught up on weekly changes. Look at the trend over multiple weeks slash the month. This also very much depends on how lean you are already and how much muscle the client is building as they're losing fat. So again, within this, we need to take a cohesive look at the entire picture of the client's progress. A lot of times we'll see for like one to two weeks, hey, scale isn't really moving, but measurements are shifting a lot. Now, typically what we'll see within those first one to two weeks is typically the first week we'll see, hey, inflammation is a little bit higher due to this new training stimulus, you're pretty sore. So we saw mostly measurements shifting. Week two, we'll typically see, okay, measurements are staying a little bit more similar, but suddenly we saw a big drop in weight as you drop all that water retention and then some because you have also been losing fat. And then going forward from there, it will kind of be kind of sporadic where sometimes we'll see, okay, this week we saw a big drop in weight, but measurements didn't move too much and measurements will kind of catch up, so to speak, the next week. Sometimes we'll see the same thing with measurements and weight will kind of catch up in the next week. Um, or for a client that is seeing a pretty impressive recomp, And we'll talk about recomposition in the body recomposition module. Um, Sometimes a client that is gaining a good amount of muscle tissue, we won't see much shift in weight. Um, We'll see measurements moving some, maybe not a huge amount, but we see these dramatic changes in progress pictures. So all these are things that we need to adjust or not adjust off of. So um, if the client has lost one to 2% of their body weight on average over the last two weeks, then there's probably no need to adjust nutrition if they have not accomplished X thing, um, losing one to 2% of body weight per week, then we would move on to number three here, which is did fat loss all abruptly and or did hunger suddenly decrease? So metabolic adaptation is a very slow process. So a fat loss stall via metabolic adaptations happens very slowly typically with the rate of loss gradually decreasing. So if the client saw solid fat loss changes on these macros a few weeks ago, And then in an abrupt stall, you probably don't need to decrease calories yet. And the issue probably lies somewhere in questions four through six. So similarly, if the client's been relatively hungry throughout the fat loss phase, 
Um, so typically a 2.5 to 3.5 out of 5 is normal. And suddenly we see a large drop in hunger without them dramatically increasing the percentage of protein or whole foods within their calories. So food selection stays the same. It's likely that the calories in have increased or calories burned via movement have decreased. So here we're basically just using this as a diagnostic tool where we're looking at, okay, did hunger suddenly drop a lot, right? Whereas like from what we can tell, protein intake has stayed similar, food quality has stayed similar. Okay, so hunger suddenly dropped and it's been relatively high the last few weeks. Um, it's, there's probably something else going on here where again, maybe the client is moving less than they were before. So they're burning fewer calories or maybe there are foods that are going on tracked and the client's actually or tracked on accurately and the client is actually eating a lot more than they are tracking, right? So within that, because we shouldn't necessarily just see that sudden drop in hunger. Very similarly, if like macros were working, 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 and then all of a sudden, especially if we're losing like close to that 1%, clients losing quickly on macros and all of a sudden they just stop progressing, there's typically something else going on there because metabolic adaptation doesn't just hit all of a sudden. It's very much like, okay, we lost 1% of body weight this week. Now we lost 0.9% of body weight, now 0.8, now 0.7, right? And just slow adapt adaptation over time if we're consistent with all these variables, calorie intake and movement. So getting into number four, is the client consistently hitting their macros? Now, this one's pretty simple. If you're not consistently hitting your macro goals, then you're just eating more calories than needed to lose fat typically. So no macro adjustment can make up for the lack of consistency. So if your client isn't consistently hitting their macros, no macro decrease is needed here. This is kind of like saying, okay, you're really struggling with driving. Like you keep running these stop signs. You've hit like three people so far. I think you just need to drive faster, right? That's not typically going to go very well. So in this case, it's important to identify the root of why the client isn't hitting their macros, not just say, okay, hit your macros this week. And from there, we need to come up with a specific plan for the client to address that. Um, is it social events? Are they not sure how to hit their targets, right? And this is really why we're such sticklers about for the first few weeks, having clients plan their macros ahead, shoot them over to us the night before. So we can make sure we've educated them about how to work in social events, how, how to actually consistently hit these targets. But from here, again, we, we need to start this with questions. If the client isn't hitting the macros, we need to first talk through like, hey, talk me through. What do you feel like are the biggest struggles with hitting your macros, right? We don't have to prescribe. We first need to ask. Um, secondly, does it make sense why this, like doing this thing, tracking your macros is so important to achieving the goal that you set out to achieve, right? From there, then we need to have this conversation around like, hey, do we need to potentially simplify the approach? Is it just like, hey, maybe we're connected to this? Is it a lack of planning? Let's work through what is the issue and what the specific plan is to address this going forward. Next is so basically if the client isn't hitting their macros consistently, we want to first troubleshoot that progress should resume. If they are hitting their macros consistently, we want to move on to number five, which is, is the client measuring their food accurately? So as discussed before, this conversation usually looks something like, okay, so the thing to remember here is our bodies count every calorie we eat, whether we track them in my fitness pal or not. So really, the few untrack, a few untracked bites, licks, and tastes where these that seem inconsequential can add up to a lot of calories through the day. And again, understand this is typically like 
when I think someone might not be tracking accurately and no matter what, like in the context of a fat loss stall, we'll almost always bring this up. This is typically like, this is an example of an email that we would send or what we would say. But within this, understand, this is something that you have to talk through with most of your clients, like at least once a month, honestly, where it'll be easy, it's so easy with this thing specifically to, okay, well, we talked about it once, so they couldn't be making that mistake again, right? This is almost something we have to like beat people over the head with, where we have to revisit this over and over and over. I've made this mistake so many times in the past where it's like, okay, well, I know I talked to that client about that two months ago. And we like worked through all these things that we're doing. So there's no way that's happening again. Um, there has to be something else going on here that's solving fat loss. So I've delayed put, having this conversation. And then it always comes, not always, but almost always comes back to, okay, this was really the issue. We just needed to revisit that. So don't be afraid to bring this up with your clients very consistently. And I really like sending this graphic because it really explains how just these tiny little bites, nibbles, flicks, and taste. Like if a client's trying to lose a pound per week, this could literally slow progress by 50%. So first I would ask yourself, could any bites, nibbles, or taste that I'm not tracking be sneaking in? Now from there, the most common tracking mistakes are gonna be cooking oils. So even though you don't apply it directly to your food, but rather line the pan with it, it still gets absorbed. This can add up to hundreds of calories of untracked calories per week. Dressings, toppings, and condiments. Um, the two biggest culprits here are salad dressing and condiments like barbecue sauce. Both are sneaky high in calories and easy to forget to track and estimating instead of measuring. So we're pre typically pretty terrible at estimating our food intake accurately. So I'd recommend not tracking using metrics like small, medium, or large. So for example, one medium banana, one large avocado, a half bowl of rice. This leaves a lot of room for error. Um, instead, use weight measurements in grams as those are typically the most accurate Weigh as much as possible with the food scale measure the rest with cups tablespoons and teaspoons now i know this is a bit more of a pain in the ass but understand the more accurately we track the quicker your results will be and the sooner you can be shredded done dieting and eating more food while also being super lean now absolutely and this is an important part of this conversation as well Absolutely don't take any of this as me accusing you of not tracking accurately, nor should you feel bad if you realize any of these have been slipping by you. It's super easy to happen. I just want to make sure we have all these boxes checked before decreasing calories or increasing movement. Does any of this resonate with you? Or do you feel like nothing really stands out here? Now, within this as well, um, we want to make sure this isn't coming off as accusatory, right? So oftentimes I'll frame this as like this whole conversation, but I'll use a personal example. Hey, in my first photo shoot prep, I felt like I was so dialed in. I was tracking all my food, but I just wasn't losing, right? I was tracking consistently. I was tracking everything. And I eventually got to this point where I just had to ask myself, okay, am I truly tracking as accurately as I can? Because I'm complaining about my lack of progress, but is there anything more I could be doing? And what I realized is I wasn't like weighing and measuring all these little things. Now, again, I get it. This isn't necessarily the most fun thing to do, but the reality is for there are a few genetic freaks out there that can kind of just eat whatever and lose body fat. The reality is I'm not one of those people and you're probably not either. So honestly, for most people, fat loss almost feels unfairly hard for how accurately we have to track, how on point we have to be. But understand the alternative to that, if we're not tracking accurately, is being in this place where we always feel like we're dieting, dieting purgatory, but never actually making forward progress. So you're already, like if you're tracking your food, you're already doing 80 to 90% of the work right? Just by plugging your food in my fist, pal. Weighing is a little bit more. Weighing and measuring most of your food is a little bit more work. But within that, understand that 
If you are willing to do that last like 10 to 15% of work of weighing and measuring, you're going to get exponentially quicker results, right? We already feel like we're dieting. It's already going to suck no matter what. Let's just get this done with. So before we point out like, hey, these are things I see in your food blog. And this is also a helpful time to definitely scan your client's food blogs and look for things I mentioned above. Like, hey, are they plugging in like one large banana, one half bowl of rice, for example. But before we go, hey, I see this wrong in your food log, I see this wrong in your food log, we could improve this. We first want to ask them these questions because again, the more autonomy we can give someone, the more we can bring them to their own realizations versus telling them what to do, the better adherence will be. Now, from there again, if they didn't catch that, if they didn't catch what all these things that you're seeing, if they think like, no, I think everything looks good, then we can actually talk them through, okay, here's like what I see within your food log. Now, diet audits can also be a useful tool for clients that are eating considerably lower calories than expected. This typically isn't our first action step here. This is basically like when we're deeper in a fat loss phase or a client is just eating considerably less food than we expect that they would have to be to lose body fat. So again, upon working through the above and confirming that it does indeed seem that the client is tracking accurately, if they're still not seeing the desired rate of progress, and again, they're on very or on relatively low calories, so typically I would define this as like body weight times 10 or lower, I'll usually start in calories. I'll usually start having them send a photo diet of their food for a week and frame it as a diet audit. So something like this. Okay, so the idea of a diet audit is basically, a lot of times we get a bit sloppy with measurements and trying to get a little bit too flexible with our macros. Now this leads to progress stalling. Basically when you're eating calories that should be creating fat loss but aren't, it's likely a measurement error. So the goal of this is to get you more dialed in with your diet. So for the diet audit, the goal is for a week, you measure everything you possibly can on the food scale in grams. You also try to stick to as many quote unquote bro foods as possible, AKA full whole foods. They're much easier to measure. I'll also have you shooting me a picture of each meal you eat so, you can double, so I can double check your MyFitness Pal diary for the day for any measurement discrepancies. Now, is this a bit of a pain in the ass? Yes. But my clients always bust their fat loss plateaus, see quicker progress, and learn a ton about what was slowing them previously when going through this. So I'd argue that seeing much quicker progress is well worth a week of the minor annoyance. Let me know if you're down to do this, highly recommend it, and we'll get started. So from there, what to do. For a week, you measure everything you possibly can on a food scale in grams. Two, you'll also shoot me a picture of everything you could, everything you eat slash drink, excluding water for the week. This helps me identify any areas there could be measurement discrepancy. So just snap pics of your meals and shoot them over in bulk at the end of the day. If you're down, I wanna hear back from you. A, what reminder system you can implement to ensure that you remember to snap, snap a pic of each meal that you're eating. Um, I really like an alarm set approximately 10 to 15 minutes before you normally eat each meal or a sticky note on your fridge or microwave. B, what time can I expect to have these pictures in my inbox nightly so I can check in if I don't hear from you? So. Even for clients that were, that were seemingly tracking it accurately, I've seen the diet audit, audit suddenly fix stalled fat loss many times. And honestly, the biggest component of this is like, typically like it's worth having someone snap us a picture of their foods. They're probably not even going out for very many meals that week if they're gonna eat mostly whole foods that they've prepared at home. And we're really also doubling down on this idea, hey, we want you to weigh and measure as much as possible. And almost always in that scenario, the client will see much quicker progress. And then suddenly they see, okay, when I went out to eat less, I made quicker progress. When I really dedicated myself to weighing my foods as much as possible, I suddenly saw much quicker progress, right? So again, I've seen this for clients who 
it really seemed like we worked through measurement accuracy multiple times and they still like suddenly we just weren't making progress or they for a while weren't making progress. Um, this is a very helpful tool to use. Now that said, if used too soon, so for example, when the client actually just needed to drop calories, um, it's an easy way to waste a week with no fat loss. So really we only use this when calories are starting to get lower than we would expect the client would need to consume to lose. Um, and we also know that the above factors and daily movement, so all the previous points we talked about, all of those are on point. Okay, so from there, if the client realized or you realize that they aren't tracking food accurately, hold the client accountable to a few days of planning their food logs ahead of ahead the night before and send them over to you plan in advance. This really helps people prevent helps prevent people from getting too flexible or forgetting to track things throughout the day and really encourage the client to just consistently going forward. Hey, like at the start of the week or at the very least the night before, let's have some type of rough plan for your day. Because again, another big deal here is we can often just forget to track foods. Now, from there again, realize that this is rarely something that we have to address only once. This is almost always something that comes up over and over. So next is the client consistently hitting their daily movement goals. So like we talked about earlier, NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis is the most manipulable, manipulable variable of your metabolism. Now, metabolism varies a lot in how it responds to overeating or undereating, especially NEAT. So from our experience as nutrition coaching, most clients' metabolisms will fall into one of two categories. So on one end, we have adaptive metabolisms. Now, for these people, when you eat more, your body automatically increases the need to compensate. So think subconscious fidgeting, blinking, pacing. Your body adapts to higher calorie intake by increasing calories burned through movement, so weight stays the same, even with calorie increases. Now, the opposite happens on a diet. When you eat less, your body decreases need by a large degree to compensate. Your body adapts to lower calorie intake by decreasing calories burned through movement, so weight stays the same, even with lower calorie intake. So, Really this person, and we'll talk about this more in the reverse diet module as well, but really this person with an adaptive metabolism, typically what we'll see is, okay, as we feed them more, they tend to burn a lot more, right? They do a lot more pacing, fidgeting, blinking. This is that person, for example, that like, hey, I'm gonna, I decided to walk five miles to get my hair cut. Um, we'll make little decisions like that um, when they're eating more, but also on the flip side, they'll just tend to do a lot less pacing, fidgeting, blinking when they diet, right? So because of that, when calories are reduced. So because of that, this is typically a person that's very good at maintaining their weight. They don't see large increases or large decreases without being very intentional about calorie intake. On the other end, we have rigid metabolism. So these people see very little or no increase in meat as a response to overeating. Thus, fat gain is a bit easier. But on the bright side, these people usually don't have to decrease calories as much to lose fat because calories burned through meat doesn't decrease as much as it would for an adaptive metabolism. So really, again, these are those individuals where, hey, we can't, like, we don't see this dramatic increase in meat as we're eating more, so it's easier for you to gain body fat, but we also don't see this dramatic decrease in meat as you eat less, so it's typically a little bit easier for you to lose more. So, to, or we don't have to take calories as low to lose. So, to prove this idea, a 1999 study fed 16 people 1,000 calories of their maintenance intake per day. So, the cool thing about the study was, it just showed so much variance by individual. Really weight gain between individuals varied from 0.8 pounds to 9.3 pounds, which is a massive difference in eight weeks. Again, these people all ate in a thousand calorie surplus. Some people only gained 0.8 pounds, 0.8 of a pound, and other people gained almost 10 pounds. Now, 
The change in NEAT between individuals also varied wildly. Some people actually moved less and burned 98 calories less. Some people moved way more and burned 692 calories more as a response to overfeeding. So basically the 16 people in the study had crazy different responses to eating the same calorie surplus. There's a huge variance in how people's energy expenditure via NEAT will respond to overfeeding or underfeeding. So the point of all of this is, as you diet, movement will likely reduce. Um, we can't account for all the fidgeting and blinking you might cease to do, but we do give all fat loss focused clients a daily movement goal, which of course helps us prevent like too many dramatic decreases in NEAT. So again, the point of this is more than anything else, well, yes, we can't account for all these variable for all these variables within again, like some people are just going to pace or some people are going to fidget less. Some people are going to blink less. Like you can't set like a blinking goal or a fidgeting goal, for example, but we do need to make sure the client is consistently hitting the step goal. This client might just have a little bit more adaptive metabolism. Thus they may need to just diet a little, <clears throat> excuse me, diet a little bit more aggressively, but regardless, we first like. If the client isn't hitting their step goal, that is gonna be considerably less calories burned. So we also need to make sure that step goals are in place and steps are like, if the client's consistently only getting six ounces of steps, we can realistically, like we could maybe realistically bump that to AK. That's another valuable lever here we can pull to increase movement, increase calories out without having to decrease calories in. So next, was the last macro adjustment less than a week ago? So the reality is it just takes time for a decrease in calories to compound to noticeable changes. So if it's been less than a week since your last macro adjustment, you likely need to just give it a bit more time. Now we used to have this as two weeks, but the reality is that if all the above is on point and the client still isn't seeing progress after a week, there's likely need to adjust further or something is going on with blood work that we may need to dig into deeper. And then finally, has the client taken a diet break in the last eight to 12 weeks? So from a psychological perspective, dieting just gets hard after two to three months of pushing. Both physical and mental fatigue, aka diet fatigue, start to creep in. And often without even realizing it, attention to the finer details of dieting that have a big impact on results. So for example, tracking everything, using your food scale and movement start slipping. So this is why most of our online clients will take a diet break every really eight to 16 weeks typically. Um, and we'll talk about this more in the diet breaks and refeeds module, the application of this. But really, despite not seemingly having a large amount of physiological benefits, the psychological benefits of diet breaks are large for most. We almost always see dramatically improved adherence and thus fat loss post diet break. Um, and again, as we'll discuss in the diet break module, diet breaks aren't metabolic magic, but almost always what we'll see is like if we're in the situation where, okay, we have been um, dieting for eight to 12 weeks, like things were going well, for the first 75 to 80% of the staff sit, suddenly we're seeing things stall. Um, we've worked through all the above and the client still isn't seeing progress. Typically, again, it's not like, hey, you, you did make good progress before for the first like 75 to 80% of this diet. Um, okay, so we know you, it's probably not like a blood work issue. We've worked through all the above. Well, the reality is it's probably just once again an adherence issue. So, hey, we need to take a one to two week diet break and get back to it. Now, if we have worked through this entire decision-making tree, um, if we get to the point and hey, it's just, okay, all the above seems spot on, but the client still isn't making progress, then maybe we just need to take a one to two week diet break, which will improve adherence. Now, if you work through all the above, the client has taken a diet break in the last eight to 12 weeks, then it's really, it's realistically fat loss is probably just stalled and it's time to make a macro adjustment, which we will discuss in the next module.